I'd like to ask you to turn in your Bibles, please, to 1 Peter chapter 5. And while you're turning, if anyone does not have one of these little flyers, would you just raise your hand and the deacons will quickly. We need two down here, brothers, or one on the front. That'd be a total of three. Hope that you will not only take some notes on the back side, but also um, take it home, contemplate the questions, discuss them as a family, and especially I hope you parents will follow up, if not today, this week, with your children with regard to the questions designed for them. In just a few moments, we will be reading together from this fifth chapter of 1 Peter. My first question in this brief series on humility was a what question. It was, what is humility? And in short, my answer was that it is coming to see the glory of God in such a way that we feel our utter insignificance, dependence, and sinfulness, so much so that we put our hand on our mouth like Job and say with him, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Humility is being persuaded that whatever our abilities, successes, or usefulness, all of them are gifts from God. Humility is honestly believing that others, generally speaking, are better Christians than we are. In other words, it's seeing and feeling the greatness of God and the littleness of ourselves and living that out before God and before one another. And so, I have just reviewed the first two sermons. We come this morning to the third question. If the first question was a what, and the second question was a where, actually, I should mention that I didn't really review that. The where question was where does it originate? And we saw that it comes from God. It comes down from above. It is specifically a fruit of the Holy Spirit which is given when we are born again. And now, the third question. The third question is a why question. Why is humility so important? Why is it so critical that we be humble before God and one another? Well, we're going to get a lot of help from our text this morning, at least the text to begin with. This is the main Passage. We will look to several others. Now I'm going to begin with verse 1 so that you can feel and appreciate the context, but I will focus our attention on verse 5. The first several verses speak to those of us who are pastors. Peter says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Here's what I have to say to you, pastors. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. By the way, notice the three different names used for this one office. 
We are called elders. In the first part of verse 1, we are told to shepherd, that is to pastor. In the first part of verse 2, and before verse 2 is over, we are also told to oversee. And that's why the Bible refers to this one office in three different ways. Elders, pastors, overseers. They're all speaking of the same office. And how is it that we're to exercise our oversight? He says, not under compulsion. Don't ever be a pastor if you don't want to be one, but somehow you're forced into the office. But willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain. Don't get into the ministry to make money. But eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge. Don't lord it over the flock. Don't be despotic leaders. But being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, he's our boss ultimately. We work under him. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now notice he shifts to speak to a different category. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. And as a part of being subject to the elders, he says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you. This is the text from which I wish to begin this morning. And I want you to know, for I trust your encouragement, that when I read verse 5, where it says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, I believe that includes the pastors. He talked to elders. He talks to youngers. And then he says, All of you, clothe yourselves with humility. Now, as we look at this text, I want to do three things, really four things. I want to make some observations. I want to give you an illustration. I want to make a few applications. And then I want to leave you with some parting counsel. Some observations. Three of them. First of all, I want you to observe with me, and this is sobering to observe this. It's, it's a, almost a warning that this passage does not tell us to be humble. This is not a command to be humble. So what do you mean? You just read it. It says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility. And verse 8 says, humble yourselves. That's right. It's not a command to be humble. It's a command to humble ourselves. I mean, if I said to you, you who just simply don't have the ability to run fast, be fast, be fast. You'd say, Pastor, I can't be what I am not and don't have the potential of becoming. Don't tell me to be fast. Don't tell me to be highly intelligent. Maybe you can tell me to learn a lot more. Don't tell me to have a high IQ. You 
You have what you have and you work with it. Don't, don't tell me to be something that I cannot be. We can be humble. Don't misunderstand me. I'm asking you to observe that it isn't about being. It's about becoming. It's about something we must do. We can't just sit back and say, well, you know, you either are or you aren't. I'm not, so how can I obey the passage? Because it's telling you about something you all did this morning. You all clothed yourselves. You and I clothed ourselves. We didn't wake up with these clothes on. And we are told in verse 8 to humble Ourselves. So that's my first observation. This passage commands us to become more and more humble. Second observation. These two commands have two dimensions. They have two directions in which they're to work themselves out. You see in verse 5, it is clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. There's the first direction. It's horizontal. In your relationships with each other, make sure you are continually clothed with humility toward each other. And then in verse 8, we see the humility in its vertical dimension toward God. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Maybe they were enduring some persecution. There is reason to believe that from this epistle. And whenever we're going through affliction and trial and persecution, we need to see the mighty hand of God and we need to humble ourselves under that. That's the vertical dimension. Now, I think you should remember that we are first to be inexperienced, to be humbled before God, And then we can become humble toward one another. No one will ever be really humble in their relationships to other believers and other human beings who who hasn't first been made humble before God. That's the, the order of experience. You have to come to see who you are or perhaps who you are not in the presence and in the face of a holy, sovereign, omnipotent, just, wrathful, pure God. And when you see that, you see your desperate need for mercy and you call upon Him for mercy and you flee to His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and you're made profoundly humble in that initial experience on a vertical level. And then, then you spend the rest of your life cultivating that humility toward God and it becomes horizontal. And then you start getting up in the morning and clothing yourselves with humility toward your wife and toward your husband, and toward your children, and toward your parents, and toward your pastors, and toward your brothers and sisters, and toward your superiors at your place of work. Now, just a real short excursion. I want to take us back for a moment to Ephesians chapter 4. And I must resist the temptation to comment on these passages, but passages, but if you will notice, we're just going to quickly look at Ephesians, quickly look at Philippians, quickly look at Colossians. In chapter 4, you see he begins, and in verse 1, he says, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk 
in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. We are to walk in a way worthy of our calling, which, among other things, requires us to walk in humility toward one another. Just quickly go over to Philippians 2. And notice, please, verse 2. Philippians 2.2, 2, Complete my joy by being of the same mind. Again, he's burdened with the need for unity of the church in Philippi. Having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit. We do a lot of stuff out of competitive motives and out of pride. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Is that vertical or horizontal? That's horizontal. Count others more significant than yourself. Then he's going to go on to use the example of the Lord Jesus Christ, whom we will look at in a future sermon. One more passage. Colossians, just turn over a couple of pages to chapter 3 and notice verse 12. Colossians 3.12. This is a command again. Put on then as God's chosen ones. Put it on. It sounds sort of like clothe yourself, doesn't it? This is something you are to do. Don't sit around and wait for something to happen. Put it on. Put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. That's his name. That's how he describes us. Compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. If one has a complaint against another, forgive each other, and so forth. Why did I quickly turn you to these three passages? To underscore the fact that humility is something God commands us to do. It is something we are responsible for. We are to clothe ourselves. We are to humble ourselves. And so the passage in 1 Peter doesn't just say, be humble. It says, clothe yourselves with humility and humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Now, the third observation, that's two. The third one is, and we're back now to 1 Peter. I want you to notice that this command to clothe ourselves and to humble ourselves includes some reasons for doing so. One of them is a negative and one is a positive. You see it there again in verse 5. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For, here's the, here's the reasons, the first two reasons. For God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. And then when He tells us to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, He gives us another reason. It is so that at the proper time He may exalt you. The commands to clothe ourselves with humility and to humble ourselves are joined to reasons. God gives us some reasons. I think that's the topic of the sermon. Why is humility so important? Well, you don't have to be a rocket science already to say, well, you've made it clear that God commands it. Okay, that's great. That's, that is the first place to begin. It isn't a suggestion. Peter isn't saying, you know, sometime you might want to think about an idea. It's just an idea. 
You may find it helpful in your church and in your family to work on humility. Why don't you think about it? Give it a little try if you like. If not, it doesn't matter. No! Commands us to clothe ourselves with humility, to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. It's a command. So the first answer to the question, why is it so important? Because God commands it. But you see, God doesn't just command it. God gives reasons. And He gives a negative reason and a positive reason. And even the children can see that in verse 5. For, here's why you should clothe yourselves in humility. For, God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. And we find the same thing in James chapter 4. And this is actually rooted in Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 34. So now at least we know that we are to be humble because not only God commands it, but because God opposes proud people and He gives grace to the humble. But then doesn't that just spawn another question? Isn't it natural to say, but why does God oppose the proud? What, what, what is it about pride that makes God oppose it? What is it about humility that moves the heart of God to give even more grace? The answer is very simple. And the text here doesn't suggest it, but the Bible does. The answer is because God hates pride. He hates pride. And He loves humility. That's why He opposes pride, because He hates it. That's why He rewards humility, because He loves it. Now, I think I should take just a moment to prove that. And then we're going to ask the next natural question. Are you there already? If you're really thinking, the next question is, why does he hate pride so much? Why does he love humility? But before, I just want to prove to you real quickly that he hates pride. And I'm just going to turn you to one passage in, in um, the book of Proverbs, chapter 6. In verse 16, some of you probably know where I'm going and could quote it. It's about the seven things that God hates. Proverbs 6, 16 begins with, There are six things the Lord hates. And it's like He says, No, no, really, really, there are seven. Let me put it this way. There are seven things that are an abomination to Him. He hates it so much that it's an abomination to God. Very strong word. What are they? Well, you know, if I had time, I would give you the, the top seven, and I would do like they do on television. You start with number seven, and then you work your way, and then you have the drum roll, and you get to the number one thing that God hates, the thing He puts top on His list. There it is in verse 17. Haughty eyes. That's body language. That's people who walk around with their head high and their eyes wide open so that when you look upon them, you can literally look at some people, and I know that pride is in the heart, and sometimes some of the most humble-looking people are extremely proud. I understand that. But pride often manifests itself in an outward way of demeanor, in the way we talk, in the way we carry ourselves, the way we walk, the way we behave, the way we react, just in our whole social demeanor and even in our body language. He hates it, people. God hates it. I could turn you to several other Proverbs. They're in my notes. I'm not going to do it. But I want to show you one thing. 
I want to show you a statement about pride in Isaiah chapter 65. And when I show you this, you will now know where a certain expression comes from that you have heard since you were a little child. Isaiah 65. You ever heard the expression, holier than thou? You know, I hate being around him because he has this holier than thou aura about him. She always makes you feel like you're wicked and vile because she's so holy. Where'd that come from? Isaiah 65. In the first part of this, God says in verse 2, I spread out my hands all day to a rebellious people. And then He describes the nature of their rebellion. They walk in a way that's not good. They follow their own devices. They provoke God continually. They sacrifice They sit in tombs and spend their night and so forth. They eat pig's flesh and so forth. And then notice verse 8. These people that God spreads His hands out to all day, they say, they say this to one another. Hey man, don't, don't come around me, man. Stay away from me. Keep to yourself. Do not come near me. Why? Why? What's wrong? For I am too holy for you. Oh, really? Wow. Okay. You know what? I don't like to be around people like you anyway. That's, that's an interesting thing. Samuel Rutherford, in his directions, he has 24 directions on how to kill pride and cultivate humility. And one of his directions is for the proud man to realize that what you really want in being proud is that people like you and think you're great actually has the exact opposite effect. I hate being around that guy. Don't you hate being around people that are so obviously arrogant? Isn't that an interesting irony? And Rutherford says, isn't it, isn't it something how our hearts are so deceitful that the very thing we try to cultivate in our lives so that people will love and worship us sends people away from us? But look, look what God says. God said these, these things, including your holier-than-thou attitude, your Hide. These are a smoke in my nostrils, a fire that burns all the day. When's the last time you were burning leaves and you know the wind was just, isn't it funny when you burn leaves, it seems like wherever you stand around, the smoke comes that way. It really does. I don't understand that. Maybe there's you know, some kind of a dynamic going there. But wherever you go, it comes in. And you're getting too much smoke. You take a breath and you try to get out of it. How would you like to stick your head right in the thickness of the smoke of a burning pile of leaves? Draw it in and choke yourself. You couldn't stand it. This is what God says, I think, about your pride. This is how I feel about your pride at Heritage Baptist Church. It's smoke in my nostrils. I hate it. But I could take you to other passages, and then I could take you to passages that show how much God loves humility. And I'm just going to take you to two of them, Isaiah 57 and Isaiah 66. And then we'll come to that that final question. Isaiah 57. How does God feel about humility? He loves it. I know He's the author of it. I understand that. But once he authors it and tells us, now I want you to cultivate this, we can be very encouraged to know that God loves to see 
me develop humility in my life as long as I'm relying upon Him for the development of it. Look at verse 17. Isaiah 57, 17. Or actually, verse 15 I'm at. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, that's God, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. What does He say? This is what He says. I dwell in the high and holy place and also with Him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit. To revive the spirit of the lowly. When I see people that are contrite and lowly in spirit, my heart is moved toward them, says God. I want to revive their spirits. I want to revive their hearts. I love such people. I feel compassion for such people. And then if you go to chapter 66 and notice verses 1 and 2, you have a similar expression from God. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne. See, I'm the one that's high and lifted up. Heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? You think there's a sanctuary on the face of the earth that is somehow commensurate with the glory that is due to God? Quit dreaming. What is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But to this one, this is the one to whom I will look. To he or her who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Do you want to get God's attention? Find by His grace and through your efforts a humble heart. So all I did, a little excursion, just to prove to you God hates pride. The first question was, why should we, why should we be humble? Why is it so important? Because God commands it. Why else should we do it? Because God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. And then I said, well, why does He oppose the proud? Because He hates it. Why does He give grace to the humble? Because He loves humility. And now we come to the question, why does God hate pride? Why does He love humility? And the answer is also found, I think, helpfully in Isaiah. Would you just notice chapter 48 and verse 11? Isaiah 48:11. This is the heart of the answer. I wish I could read the context. I can't. God is speaking to His ancient covenant people, Israel. And He says this. What he's talking about good things He's going to do for them. He says in verse 11, for my own sake. Just in case you didn't get it, God says, let me say it again. For my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? I am preoccupied with a holy jealousy for the greatness of my name, the purity of my name. I can't stand to see it Profaned, And when Christians walk around proud, they profane the name of God. He hates it because it robs His own name from the glory that is due to it. Look at the last part of verse 11. My glory I will not give to another. And that's what pride does. Pride goes up to the throne of God 
and renews the horrible sin of Lucifer and says, get off the throne. You are glorious, but I am glorious too. And I deserve more glory than you deserve. It's about me, God, not about you. Get out of my way. I want that glory. That's really what pride is. Pride is wanting the glory that is due to God alone. And God says to us in this text, I am not going to give my glory to anyone else. And when you are proudful, I hate it because it's thievery. It's cosmic plagiarism. It's you trying to take away from me what only rightfully belongs to me. I hate it. We should hate it. And God's the only person who has the right to hate that because there can't be any sin in Him for hating it. He would not be God if He didn't hate the sin of robbing Him of His glory. This is the root of it. So when it comes to the whole issue of salvation, what is God doing with us when He saves us, when He begins that gracious work of convicting our hearts through His law and through His Word and showing us something of His own glory? He's bringing us down, down, down because He wants us to look up up, up. He wants us to look out. He wants us to look away. He wants us to quit looking to ourselves. He wants us, in essence, to say, oh God, if I'm ever saved, it will have to be due entirely to you. It's all to your grace. God, I don't bring nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to your cross I cling. God, I want to give you all of the glory. I want to recognize your honor. And so the very nature of our salvation is designed to bring glory to God because if we don't reach that humility in its initial form of becoming a Christian, what we're doing is we're saying, I think I can make it on my own. I don't think I'm that bad. I don't think God's that holy. I don't think He's that just. I need some grace, yes. But I've got some merit too. And God says, no. No, I will not share my glory. You have nothing. You have no merit. You have only demerit. You have to depend entirely upon me. You have to cast yourself, soul and body, upon me and beg for mercy. And that way, I will get the glory. Anything less than that, he says, is pride. And I hate pride because it robs me of my glory. There's the, there's the sequence. There's the line of reasoning. Why should we be humble? Well, because God commands it. Why does He command it? Because He opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Why does He oppose the proud? Because He hates it. Why does He give grace to the humble? Because He loves it. Why does He hate pride and love humility? Because pride robs Him of His glory and grace reflects God's glory. Now, I said I would give some illustrations, so believe it or not, the outline moves to Roman numeral 2. What are the illustrations? I'm telling you, the illustrations are so numerous that it's just frustrating for me to even think about which one to choose. We could start with the devil. The devil was kicked out of heaven because of pride. We could look at King Uzziah. We could look at Belshazzar. We could look at King Saul. We could look in our New Testaments to King Herod, the grandson of the Herod that tried to kill Jesus and how he was destroyed by worms and died rather suddenly. We could look at Diotrephes in, in the little epistle of John. But I just remind you of what Mark read for us today. 
I found that very helpful to see that again. God says, I hate the pride of Nebuchadnezzar, and I'm going to bring an end to it. I'm going to show who rules in heaven. You're going to find out, Nebuchadnezzar, who rules. You think you rule. You think it's all due to you and your glory. And wasn't it sad to read that even after Daniel interpreted the dream, we don't read, and Nebuchadnezzar went off and fasted and prayed and sought to break his heart before God. No, we read that 12 months later, he's still a proud man and goes up on the top of his palace. God brought him down because God hates pride. God made him humble because God loves humility. And what a great confession of faith. Nebuchadnezzar gave us there in Daniel chapter 4. There's your Old Testament illustration of the hatred of pride. I want to give you a quick illustration of God's love for humility as well as His hatred for pride. Luke 18, please. And this is the last passage that we'll turn to. Luke 18. This is the parable of the Lord Jesus of the Pharisee and the tax collector. You know how the Pharisee was very proud of his own righteousness and he prayed a prayer that was filled with braggadocia. But then when we come to the tax collector who knew himself to be a sinner, he wouldn't even lift his eyes to heaven. He beat upon his breast and he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Short prayer. And then Jesus says, now listen to me. I tell you, this man, this tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other. And then he gives us this grand principle which this series of sermons is all about. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. There's an illustration of humility. Humility that was rewarded. The tax collector in this story was exalted. He went home justified. He went home a believer. There's the illustration. God hates pride. God loves humility. Why is humility so important? Let me just put it this way. It opens the door of grace. It opens the door of grace to God's forgiveness, to God's intimacy, to God's favor, to God's protection, to God's guidance. It opens the door to God Himself. We get God. And then to top it all off, we get to live with this God in sweet, blessed, pure, uninhibited, sin-free communion on the renewed earth. Because blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Sound like it's pretty important to be humble to you? does to me. With no humility, there's no salvation. Jesus said to some of His disciples, unless you turn and be converted and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And so, when He gives us what we call the Beatitudes, He starts with, blessed are the poor in spirit those who know they have nothing but spiritual poverty. Blessed are those who mourn over their sinfulness. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. What are the applications to Heritage Baptist Church? I didn't give any last week, so I'm going to give two today. Make up for it. The first one is, dear people, I want to see us develop at Heritage a spirit of servanthood. 
in all of our ministries. And this is not chiding or shaming or scolding. This is an encouragement. Do I think we're as humble as we need to be? No. Do I think the pastors are as humble as they need to be? Of course not. Pray for us. We know that. We want humility. So I'm not beating anybody today, but I am going to be honest and say that as a church, we need to continue to become more and more humble. It was prayed about this morning. We need to be developing the spirit of of servanthood in our church. And that's going to manifest itself in an attitude of going to people and saying, how can I better serve you? How can I help you? It has implications for how the AV people relate to the music people and how the music people relate to the AV people. That's a huge challenge. Just the technology and the being patient with one another and serving one another, loving each other. It has to do with how we face the challenge of a child protection policy that we're just instituting. Is it perfect? Of course it isn't perfect. Will we massage it as we live with it? Of course we will. But we, we say, you know, I don't buy everything about it. Maybe I'm not excited about every aspect of it. I'm excited about us protecting our children. But you know what? It's not about me. It's not about my happiness. It's not about my will. I want to work within the framework. I want to help. I want to contribute. And then as time goes on, we can help each other. And we're going to make it even better. But the right attitude is rooted in humility. An attitude of serving one another. Not trying to point out faults and weaknesses. Of course there are weaknesses. Everything about all of us is defective. Everything about Heritage Baptist Church has some defect in it. We need to remember that. And we need to live in a way that demonstrates that so that we don't strut around here like we got our act together. And no small group within the church has its act together. The elders don't have all their act together. We confess that at every elders meeting. We beg for wisdom from God. This church needs to be characterized by a spirit of servanthood. And you know it even has application for things like our music. And I know that that's been a topic of discussion for actually for several years now. Some of you prefer the older hymns. It's wonderful. There's warrant to, for you to prefer the older hymns. Some of you prefer more contemporary expressions of God and truth and Christian experience. It's wonderful. When will we all be mature enough to stand and sing in this congregation and glance off to the left or the right and see a brother or sister who prefers the music that we don't prefer and say, thank you, God. It's not about me. I thank you for these who love these good old hymns. They're such a treasure. They're a gift to the church that need to be preserved. They've stood the test of time. We must ever confess truth through those great expressions. Thank you for those dear people. And conversely, those who prefer the good old hymns, look at those who love to sing in a more 21st century language with a more 21st century style of music, and their hands may be lifted up and look over and say, you know, I don't want to lift my hands up. I, doesn't, I just don't feel the need for that. It isn't my heart's desire. Fine. Rejoice with those who are lost in worship. Be glad for your brothers and sisters. It's not about you. It's never been about me or us. 
That's what the Philippians passage is about. Preferring one another. It's not about the style of music you prefer. It's about preferring your brother and your sister. And we have to work through these things in a spirit of love and humility. And yes, massage it and tweak and learn and experiment and and find what we think is really balanced. But you see, underneath the grace that is needed more than anything else is humility. Humility. And I submit that there's been way too much pride with regard to things like this. So, why is humility so important? Well, God commands it. He hates pride. He loves humility. He opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Without it, there's no peace, no favor, no hope, no comfort, no joy, no future, no renewed earth. And with it, all these things become ours. Plus, God Himself. And I want to conclude with this. If you've never been made initially humble, initially humble in in the conversion experience, I beg of you as one of your pastors, flee to the Lord Jesus Christ today in your pew right now before we pray, before we leave this sanctuary. Flee to the Lord Jesus Christ. Take Him at His word. Embrace His invitation. You know what He said on one occasion? He said, it's kind of like God outstretching His arms all day to a rebellious people. That's an astounding statement. It's repeated by the Apostle Paul. All day long. And God uses body language to to convey. Outstretched arms mean something. Raised hands mean something. In Isaiah 65, it's the outstretched arms. And in a sense, you can almost feel Jesus reaching His arms out. I know the text doesn't say that, but here's what He does say. He says, come, come unto Me, all you who labor and are heavy laden with a sense of guilt and sin. I will be your priest. I can atone for your sin. I can remove your guilt. Come to Me. Take My yoke upon you. Yes, there is a government, but it's a gracious government. I will be your king. And one more thing, says Jesus. Learn from Me. I'll be your prophet. And be encouraged to know that as you learn from Me, I am lowly of heart. I am meek and gentle. And I beg of you who've never had an initial humbling experience in the skin conversion, flee to the Lord Jesus. Flee to the humble Savior and He'll receive you. And the rest of us who have been there and have a measure of it, all I can say is, brethren, we need to grow in this grace. I appreciated the prayer this morning. We want Heritage Baptist Church to be known for some things. We want among those things, humility. Humility. Love, compassion, joy, um, passion for God's glory, zeal for evangelism and missions, all those things. But humility. So, each of us need to grow in that grace and may God grant it to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for... Um, the Word of God. We thank You especially for 1 Peter 5. It's so clear. Now we have to, all of us, go home and every day of our lives, in addition to putting on our physical material clothing, we must think about how to put on humility and wear it all day long. Help us, Lord. Help us to figure out what that means and what that looks like. And then help us to continue to humble ourselves under Your mighty hand. We thank You that You give grace to the humble. 
And we pray that the grace that you have given to those of us who are Christians may be only increased. And may we humble ourselves so that we may receive more of that grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.